my first question for you, Sylvia, is have you had your coffee because it's 9am for you? Here we go, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Essential morning uh, equipment, let's put it like that. Yes. That's it, because I actually thought the same thing, because I thought, I is it? it's dinner time for me, so I thought, shall I eat before or eat after? And my essential is to eat before interviewing somebody. We don't want to be hangry. I completely agree on that one. <laughs> so hopefully we're and, our and- best. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. You know, in terms of my morning routine, it means making sure that I have some calm time for myself, which means I need to be the one getting up first before everybody else gets up. Then we do the drop off of the little one at the daycare. And then I have my coffee and then I have my breakfast and then I get going with work. So it needs to be in that order. Wow. You don't have a coffee until after you've dropped off your daughter. No, because I know I would just, you know, throwing it down and that's that feels kind of wasted so I take it properly after everything is taken care of let's put it like that oh my gosh that's quite a good tip actually yeah motivate yourself to drop your children off there's a coffee waiting on the other side yeah indeed that's perfect. a nice way of putting it <laughs> perfect well I'm going to introduce you to our listeners um because from a distance I've been massively inspired uh, by you and think that you're the perfect perfect candidate for fire and forte because you're a woman you're a leader in business uh, and yet I can also see that you're doing it with a purpose uh, and I think that that must be I'm assuming it can purpose can only be personal um, so that's one of the that that's a key reason why I was really hoping that we could uh, learn more about you. So um, let me you. let me explain a little bit more about you to the listeners as well. So Sylvia, you're a, um, is an advocate and an ambassador of positive leadership. She's managing director of a global business, and as we now know, she's a mother who doesn't uh, have her coffee until after she's dropped off her daughter. Um, she's an ally for gender diversity, which is about getting gender diversity at all levels, so the highest levels of decision making, uh, which is crucial. Um, really cool career, beginning at L'Oreal, where she began as a um uh, marketing intern before spending 17 years at the FMCG firm Unilever with roles spanning across marketing, sales, general management across various European businesses. So you can imagine the different contexts, the different languages, the different cultures. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing more about how you've actually adapted to all of those different environments. Um, Sylvia's been on the country leadership team and has served as a board member for various federations, um, an executive committee member at the European Women on Boards, um, which is so important. And I think the thing yes. that just is so important, I, I imagine that I, I've heard a bit about what it's like to sit on a board. Well, actually, I, sorry, no, I haven't. I've heard what it's like to present to a board and how intimidating it is. I've not actually spoken to anyone on a board, so I'm interested to hear what what that's like and to um, that you're increasing that representation on there. Um, absolutely incredible to be that Sylvia was selected as a global, uh, young global leader of the World Economic Forum. And a personal, real big passion area of mine is the metaverse. And I understand that you're um, involved with working on building the metaverse uh, through these contacts that you've got on the World Economic Forum. So, you know, that's on our list to talk to you about as well. <laughs> thank you. How much time do we have? But uh, no, really, thank you for the very kind introduction, obviously. You're super, super kind, right? And I think I'm a humble person, so it also puts me a bit at the spot of 
oh my gosh, uh, now I need to deliver, but I'll try. So um, in terms of my overall development, I would say it's just been very gradual, right? Um, clearly not something that had been planned out from the start. Um, I think I was never pushed into something. I think I could always make up my own choices. So thinking about my childhood, how my parents raised me, it was never, oh, this is what you would like to see our little Sylvia do in the future. Never, ever. Um, I was raised by a loving family, rural area in Austria, went to proper high school. Um, and I think uh, my parents didn't even think I would go to university. It was more like because the teacher saw the skills and then said, okay, of course, you know, that's what she should be doing. And I, I definitely enjoyed uh, that one from an intellectual point of view, but also just from the increased independence and the personal growth that comes when you're exposed to new people from different backgrounds. So I really like that environment. And um, it's actually a funny story about my first marketing lecture at university back in Austria, because it was with a guest speaker, a guest speaker from Unilever. And up until that point, you know, me age 20, I was not aware of the brand Unilever. So it was really the first point to get drawn into this company that should then be part of my life for 17 years. And um, while I was seeing this lady on stage and talking to us, I was thinking, well, that would be cool. You know, if I could one day be a brand manager like her at Unilever, perfect, I'll take it. And eventually that's how it uh, came about. So um, yeah, that was like just a little thing. And then it turned out to be like this. And then I think, uh, I did make some smart decisions along the way, even though there was no such thing as a master plan. But uh, I think it was smart to go from marketing into front-facing sales at some point in time to just have a, a more rounded profile. Or it was smart to... Oh, wait. Uh, that's a little issue on the side. Um, it was smart to... Uh, think about general management roles afterwards. Uh, it was smart to um, cross the borders, to have a more multicultural setup and experience really being in other countries and, and working with, with really different kind of people. So, um, yeah, and even the decision to have a family, right? Uh, when you're questioning yourself, what is the right timing? Just go with the flow kind of, right? Because you can't force it anyhow. So um, if I look back, I would summarize by saying, it's not about having a master plan. It's about regularly taking stock. Is this feeling right? What could be the next direction to take? And I also think sometimes life just calls for bold decisions. And then it's about us to show up and to be courageous and uh, to innovate and to take some risks and Essentially, it's about listening to your heart. Wow. I mean, there's still big moves, though. So was there not a moment when someone offered you your first sales job? Mar marketing and sales, very different. Yeah. I'm just going to use True. that one as an example. Yeah. Was, was that one of those moments where you thought, yeah, that just feels right? Or, or was there anything that gave you quite a few days? You required some time to think about it. You realized that it was actually a bit of a big move, maybe a daunting move. Yeah. I think in general, uh, I'm, I'm someone who would do pros and cons lists, right? So I have a rational side, but then essentially it's about listening to what's going on in the tummy. I think your body gives you all the necessary information. Your body is being fed with all your experiences, all the, the knowledge, the intelligence that you have taken up, but you will feel what's right and what's not. 
And what always worked for me is just talk to other people, people that I trust, people that don't necessarily have exactly the same experience or exactly the same opinion, right? Bit of a different edge. So you, you get added value when sparring with them. But the most important part is just listening to yourself. Mm. How do you talk about that opportunity, that option? It, 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 it comes across so clearly. I really think probably the decision already has been made. It just has not yet been spelled out by you but it's already done, it's already taken. And uh, on that example for marketing, going to sales, like nobody asked me if I wanted to do it. It was just me saying, I think this really makes a lot of sense just rationally. I think I will be a better leader if I have proper experience in both fields. And um, I was also just really curious. I think this, this curiosity to experience something new, I think that helps a lot. Uh, plus, I mean, come on, what can happen? So if you don't like it, you can always pivot. Uh, I knew for myself, if I didn't like sales within at least two years or so, I could just go back to marketing or do something completely different. I think um, it's about feeling that it, it's in your own hands. It's your life. Huh? Mm. And I'm also aware that this is not the case for everyone around this world. So we are privileged if we can say that we can make our own decisions. Therefore, we should probably also make use of that um, opportunity. Yeah, brilliant. I'm assuming that having the reputation that you did in the business that you were working at would help with some of those moves. Because if you were to have a look at a job in another department, I was going to say supply chain. I don't know if anyone says, yeah. please give me a job in supply chain. They must do. I just <laughs> know that I, I couldn't do it. Do you, Fair do you enough. Think, do you, but do you think that the, but either way, any kind of department, do you think that if you built up goodwill in a business, if you've got that reputation, was that always helping that people would take a bit more of a, a bet on you and, and allow you to make that decision um, if you if yeah. you wanted to? Uh, for sure. For sure. I think um, also what I'm telling people constantly or maybe female young leaders that are reaching out to me and are a bit nervous about how to build their career. I think it's important to focus on your current job and to do really well and to create visibility for it, right? Some kind of self-promotion, but this will travel. And if you have a good line manager, if you have a good uh, boss, this boss will also do the advocacy work for you, will tell others what you're currently doing. So the information will spread and normally, people will reach out, more people will reach out to you and want to have you on their team than you could ever imagine or you could ever make use of. So definitely, I think doing good work totally pays off with a certain awareness for what do I need to do for my own visibility. Um, so that's for sure, um, 100%. And I also think it's about certain overarching skills. Of course, there's functional skills. I don't know. Going into sales, you need to know how the trade calculation works, but it's also not rocket science. Huh? You just need to ask people, explain to you, and then, uh, then it works. But it's more about, can you, do you have proper relationship building skills? Um, what about your listening? What about your overall project management skills? That's essentially what you need, regardless of the concrete role or the concrete function you're in. 
Well, they're a good list, actually. This might be skipping to a really nosy or big question, but what skills do you need to be a managing director of a company? Mm. What, what have you found? Wow, uh, that's a good one. Um, so I would say having a lot of positive energy, having confidence, having um, a positive attitude towards the future. I think this is super important because it helps you push through. It gives you the energy you need when the going gets tough. And more likely or not, your day will be filled with challenges and problems rather than, oh, great news here, great news there. So it's more like, how do you continuously keep motivating yourself? So having that energy source you can tap into, I think it's super important. And on top of it, it's something you want to make use for your teams. You want to be aware that energy is contagious. That is true for negative energy, but luckily also for positive energy. So if I show up to my team, you know, in good spirits, if I see a challenge, but bring a positive attitude to it, I can, I can bring them along. If I talk about the future, what we can achieve together, how that could look like, the vision, the purpose behind it, I can create followership. I can create a movement where we all go after the same and can actually achieve it, right? So I think that would be my first. And I think especially these days, we all acknowledge that you need to have agility. Um, there is no way to build a five-year plan and to think, you know, this is what you're just now going to execute flawlessly. Far from the truth. You've got to be capable of continuously looking around, bringing on board the new data points, pivoting, killing projects, killing setups, and just going for what is now more likely to succeed. And if it's not the case, then you just pivot again. But really having this flexibility in your mind and then also um, taking your teams on board for such, um, yeah, such an agile approach to management. I think that would be my number two. And then maybe something like, um, how do you strike the right balance between push and pull? What do I mean? Push for me is as a leader and the managing director, you need to give guidance. You need to give clarity on what needs to be achieved as a team pretty clearly. No doubts about that. Don't allow for any confusion. But then you want to have to pull. You want to have your team members to be eager to work towards that goal and to come up with the approach, with the proper strategies, with the plans to back it up. It's not meant that you as the leader, you are the one who is you know, just telling, okay, now you do this, you do that, and you do that. That's not how it works. You want to have that dynamic in the team. You want to make use of everybody's brains and skills and experiences and the diversity of fault. So that would probably be my number three. And then I would say um, for the specific role of managing director, where you also have a relevant responsibility in terms of governance, just making sure that for your country, for your market, that you're responsible for that, everything is in order. You're living up to your code of business principles. I think that's one where you really need to have a clear compass yourself. You need to have the integrity. And again, you need to be very clear. There is there's, there's few moments where it's, it's, it's gray. More often it's, it's black and white and you've got to stick to that, right? And uh, the last one to mention is, I think also 
our role externally is not to be underestimated. So of course, my number one priority is my team, that I create an environment where they can flourish and develop to their maximum potential. But then I also want to have an impact externally. I want to work on my employer branding. I want to connect with potential corporation partners. I want to have influence when um, maybe some relevant um, regulatory decision-making is in process. And I think we have something relevant to contribute to. So it's about relationship building, creating connections, um, networking in the most powerful sense. Amazing. That's, that's five fantastic points. How long have you been a managing director and did anyone show you the ropes or how did you work, work out what your ropes were? Ah, well, good question. Um, so I think overall my development was really gradually and made a lot of sense from, the, from one role to the other. So before my last role, the one that I held was the general manager for the foods business in Germany, Austria, and Switzerland. So I was already very much aware of what it's about in terms of bringing the cross-functional team members together, what it's about um, rallying the troops, uh, maybe taking a team on the transformation journey, um, having uh, the empathy to see what's going on, what's not, having the engagement being high. So I think doing that for five years was an excellent preparation for them taking on the role of country general manager or managing director as you would call it and then I think the essential bit is anyhow that you go into the new role and in this case into a new market a new country with new languages and a completely new team go into that new role with um, how to put it an open mindset not believe that you know, this is my blueprint and this is what has worked in the last two jobs. So that's why I'm just going to do the same. I think you just need to approach it completely differently. You need to approach it in a humble way. First, you are there to learn. You are there to ask the questions. You are there to listen. And with that intelligence that you are building up, then you start adding value because you can play back. That's essentially what I did when I became the, the managing director for Belgium and Luxembourg. I spent the first 45 days talking with 300 people virtually because it was COVID. Uh, but I, I got to speak them. I got to ask them questions about the state of the company, the team, the business, the outlook, what they think we should be doing. And then I could condense it into something that made a lot of sense. So there was a lot of overlapping messages and it gave me the power to show up and say, dear team, this is what I've heard from you. And therefore, I think we now need to focus on X, Y, Z. And let's get going on that journey. So, um, yeah, I think that's, that's, that's one of my recommendations. Really go in with an open mind. Use your ears more than your mouth in the first uh, weeks or months even. Yeah, wow. 300 people. I don't know if you spoke to all of them, but you certainly... I did. I did, of course, you know, bring them together in group sessions, but I could see everyone. And on the flip side, I also could be seen, which mm. also matters that they have a feeling that, oh, our general manager is um, approachable and uh, she's there to do this with us together. So to, to reduce the barrier maybe of people reaching out to me when they wanted to share something that was really super important for me to know in terms of strategic direction. 
Yeah, brilliant. And did you find that they took some time to build up that trust or did you did you enable that? Did you see that trust grow? Oh, I think definitely trust is something that uh, grows over time. Um, I personally am someone who shows up with a lot of trust to begin with. I think that's just my my go to approach, my natural state. Um, I want to have conversations on eye level. And I also expect it from others, which of course cannot always be then the, the actual reality. But I think it's about being aware that um, actually there's something about your reputation that already travels up front, right? So even before putting my first foot, my first virtual foot on Belgian ground, of course, people already knew something about Sylvia. They already had reached out in the internal network to see, you know, what is... Uh, this woman all about and uh, what can we expect from our future leader or they were just looking maybe on LinkedIn what is she talking about what kind of feeling does that give to us so there is already a certain feeling about you before you even show up for the first time which can or may not add to building up trust and then I think it's um it's essential to be aware of this concept of the psychological safety Amy Edmondson is talking about that one. So as a leader, you want to create that psychological safety in your team, which essentially means that people feel safe to share, to share their observations, their perspectives, to speak up and not be afraid that someone will tell them, well, that's stupid. Well, I'm not interested in that. That's useless. Or to have some kind of repercussions. You want to have this beautiful state where people can just build. They can just share to build and to create something together. And um, for that, for instance, it's super important that you as the leader are outspoken about it and that you're role modeling it. So that means that I, for instance, share when I make a mistake or that I share when I'm maybe somehow insecure about something. I'm not sure. I don't have all the answers. Just make this normal, um, reduce maybe this, um, uh, the, the benchmark of, you know, know it all. This is not helpful. This is so old school. This is so old leadership. Um, as a modern leader, you need to show that you are, you're a human being, actually. I think that's, that's probably what it, what it boils down to in the end. So create that, that safe space. And of course, it's not just about talking. In the end, you may not do something that will undermine what you've said. You may not, um, when someone who is you know, normally doing good work, if this person then creates a mistake, and you know, even if it's a big mistake, it's not the moment to jump on that person. It's about showing compassion. And of course, it's then about figuring out why did it happen? What can we learn from it? But it's you need to you need to be aware that everything that you are doing is seen if you're a leader if you're in an exposed uh, position so you gotta live up to what you're preaching what you're talking about otherwise the trust that you're trying to create will just be diminished in in a minute 
I mean, that's such a good point. And yet the reality of actually living and breathing that must be so different because I'm thinking, yes, that's the way to be. I know myself, you know, that sense of pressure, you know, whether making a mistake, whoever's mistake it is, if it's my mistake, you're horrified. Um, or if there's a business problem that that does cause, you know, yeah. you know, you know, there's repercussions for somebody. So have you found the way to cope with those moments of pressure do you think or how or, or is it something that you 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 manage with those you manage the pressure privately to make sure that other people don't see it in the business to to mm. maintain that level headedness yeah i think it's a very fair point right as a leader you want to show the confidence people need to feel that you're confident about the future um and there is no point in making visible any kind of pressure that you are receiving from others I mean, it's my job to be a bit of decompression somehow and to shield my team. Totally, that's part of my role. But then still, it's not about um, going into a fake state. People want authenticity for themselves and for others. They want to feel it. So I, I got I to gotta strike the right balance and I got to let my team in on what's going on overall. So if I get a briefing that, you know, creates a lot of pressure for myself because I need to deliver it. And also for us as a team, I need to communicate it somehow because I will need the team to help me achieve it. And in order to achieve it, they need to know why we are doing this. So they need to have certain background information. They need to know the framework. They need to know the, the context. So I cannot hold back everything, but I can decide how much detail do I want to give and how how clear, how brutal sometimes I want to have those messages land. Also being very much aware that, for instance, if your team is 300 people, it's people on maybe at a director level or manager level or assistant level, it's people who have been around for 30 years or maybe just three months. Um, it's people who have uh, different sensitivities. You've got, to, you've got to take that into account. You know, some messages are easier for one person to take than for the other. So. Keep that in mind. That's one part of the answer, I think. The other one is, of course, you need to have a trusted communicate. So in my case, for sure, my leadership team always needs to be my trusted community where I can just share, openly share. And I'm someone who is very transparent. I would always rather share unless it's something that's really red status, highly confidential. But anything that I think I can share, I will share and frame properly and then have the debate and discuss and come to solutions together and feel people that they are involved, that they have an opportunity to influence and impact. I think that's super important. And it also helps me because I know, well, it's not me on my own, right? It's not me who has to find the solution herself. No, actually, I have super smart people around me that you know, bringing their brains together, we can just create it together. So that would be number two. And part three of the answer, I would say, is you need to find your ways of coping. You need to find your ways of coping with stress. And um, last year, for sure, was pretty pressuring. Um, I would say the market dynamics were just really challenging. And I like to win. I like to succeed, huh? like many people do. So it was clearly not easy uh, at all times. But what helped me was first 
be in tune with my body to sense, to sense that right now I'm not feeling great. And then, you know, do a bit more investigation to see, okay, where is it coming from? And usually it's, it's pretty obvious. It's, you know, this thing that's bothering me. Acknowledge it, spell it out, tell myself, that's okay. It's okay that you're not feeling great about that situation. We all have those moments. It's normal. And then I did two things. I thought about the progress that we were making as a team anyhow to feel this self-efficacy, which keeps going, allows you to keep going. And the second bit was thinking about my own added value. So why do I think it's a good thing that I'm in this role and I'm leading this team? What is the value I'm bringing to the team? And normally, after having gone through that, I would always feel much better and I could keep going regardless of uh, the situation at hand. And, and do you ever need some external reminding or validation on those things? Because when, when you're feeling great, when you've got off stage from a great presentation, when you've landed a big project, when something, when you've hit a number, you probably feel like we've done it team. And yet sometimes when you've been outside of the, you've not been in the office for a while and your energy is dipping, sometimes you can feel disconnected with that successful person or that person that achieves things. So would yeah. you ever seek some validation or some, if you were like maybe from your leadership team or from anyone else to say, actually, I'm feeling a bit lost to help you get back into that um, mm. state of being able to deal with the pressure or. Yeah. Um, I think I'm very much aware of um, cherishing the little things. So when you look at uh, the archetypes uh, that, you know, you could be, for me, the archetype of the lover is very important. It's, it's, it's very much part of my, of my personality, which means, among other things, I see the beautiful things in life in general. So I think that's, that helps you to feed the energy and also means I tend to see the successes that I, I do along the way. Um, and it's not just about the one big win. It's not about hitting uh, that one number at the year end. It's not about just closing the deal. It's about the progress you're making throughout that process. You need to look at it. Uh, that's true. Yeah? Uh, and sometimes we are just too busy running from one meeting to the next. So you're not even properly cherishing the good news that are being presented to you. Um, I try to be very aware of it also because I know it's important for my team members. So I want to celebrate their successes. I think as a, as a positive leader, you want to you feel great about the achievements of your team and then you want to cherish them. You want others to see them. You want to create visibility from it. And then there comes more motivation and energy. So I really, I really try to be mindful of the good things happening all along the way, even though we also know that um, just because of how our bodies or how our brains are functioning, we have this negativity bias. We are, we are focused to see more clearly and more strongly the negative things in life, which I think is a survival mechanism, right? Um, even though today it's, it's not necessary that we interpret everything as a danger, unless maybe you're bicycling uh, right here in Hamburg, then yeah, it's good to watch out. But it's, it's, this, it's this negativity bias and therefore we need to focus on the positives 
And uh, therefore, probably it's also helpful if we surround ourselves with positive people who will play back, who will share with us the good news versus just, I don't know, complaining about the traffic was really bad this morning. Oh, and by the way, um, I don't know, the customer gave the feedback of X, Y, even though there was another part of the feedback which was very positive. So you need to find the right balance. And I think you can do a lot with how you reach out to others, what kind of information you are seeking, and also what you're sharing with others so that others might start mirroring you, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Really great advice, actually, because cherishing the small moments, a day can feel quite a long time. And you can almost mm. forget the good conversation that you had that morning, because then you've got sucked absolutely. into something work-wise, personal-wise or anything. And I absolutely. guess, yeah, and I suppose, I guess that gratitude journals in personal life, why not have the equivalent in a more professional setting? Absolutely, absolutely. And I know quite a few of my um, close colleagues, we are all doing the same in one way or the other. So any nice email that's popping up, we're just folding it away uh, in a, you know, this was great or a successes folder in our inbox or we are printing out something or, um, you know, behind my, my laptop computer now, I've started now putting together a little, a little wall where I want to put up successes, things that made me feel good, just to, to have that very visual. Anytime just looking like this, I would see those positive things um, to have that stimulation all the time. Yeah, that's a great idea. Great idea. I might do the same. I, and I think I'm, I'm finding out a lot more about positive leadership, which I know that you talk about um, a lot and it seems to be this real big movement now. I, I was really keen to understand a bit more around positive leadership, um, of which I think I'm, I'm taking more from it as you're talking. Um, and I suppose one of the questions, there might be a, a, an introduction to what positive leadership is, but something that I thought is what happens if you do, how do you stay positive if you're working with pessimists? What is the mm. role of someone that might be, see, see the glasses half empty if it is positive? And do you get some naysayers, if you like, that think positive leadership is um, is fluffy or is is, mm. an, ide is an ideology? It, do, do you ever get that? So there's a few questions in there. What, what, yeah. do, you, what do you do to the haters? <laughs> Um, so maybe just first to, to clarify positive leadership, and I'm just taking it the way that I see it, and I want to practice it in, with my team. So for me, positive leadership is about being very much aware that part of my job is to create an environment where people can flourish, where people can develop to their best self, um, to reap their maximum potential, and believing that if individuals get to their maximum potential, it's the same for the organization. It's the same for the business. So as a positive leader, I really care about the well-being of the individual. And I care about the well-being of my company. And I very much believe that it goes together. And it's about facilitating and fueling and strengthening the positive emotions that we experience in our work setting. And it's the whole, the whole territory of... Um, the joy and the happiness, but also the curiosity, for instance, or the pride, you know, all those different kinds of positive emotions. So um, that's, that's essentially one part of positive leadership. The other one that's important is that you focus on strengths. You want to help people notice 
identify, feel their strengths, and then to leverage them so that they can feel their self-efficacy, that they can feel that they are adding value to the biggest scheme of things. So strength-based leadership is clearly one part of it. And it all goes back, for those who would like to know more about it afterwards, it all goes back to positive psychology, which is a rather young part of psychology. And it focuses on making people feel good and develop to their best selves versus just trying to, you know, deal with uh, the more challenging uh, things in life. It's, it's having this positive look. So um, that's probably the basis to look at. Um, I totally believe it's not fluffy. I totally believe it's not the hurrah culture. It's not about just telling people constantly, you are doing great. No, 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 to the opposite. It's about giving honest feedback, feedback that people can work with so they can develop further. It's about giving people encouragement to get out of the comfort zone, which is not comfortable, huh? you get out of the comfort zone. But it's about also enabling them to do so successfully. It's about equipping them, giving them the information, the resources. It's about um, empowering them, delegating properly, being their safety net so that they can actually do it. Um, and of course, it requires you to show up with feedback that is being shared in an empathic way. Um, and I think it's also not um, sharing that everything is great at all times. Mm. Absolutely not. Huh? It's not about being fake. We all want authenticity for ourselves and for the people that we work with. But um, it's about basically mm, training your brain to see the good things that are happening and then to feeding the positive spiral versus getting into the, the negative downward spirals. And then to your point about uh, the naysayers or the pessimists, well, let's say, I think um, it would not be a very mm, promising setup if your team consisted of... Um, 50% uh, of people that have, you know, the negative focus in life, I think this won't work. This will just um, be challenging. But I think you can also help people to develop. Maybe there's a reason why they are focusing on the negative things in life. Maybe you can just uh, work with some simple exercises for them to develop, to develop more their, their positive, their optimistic approach in life. And it, and it could actually start with helping them see their own strengths because based on our socialization, right? We are always getting the feedback on what's not great. Where do we need to improve? You are getting the results from your exam in university or, or at school. And it tells you, well, sorry, um, three of the answers were incorrect. Instead of telling you, congratulations, uh, 37 of the answers were correct, huh? And it makes a whole lot of a difference. So that's why it's not surprising that people really struggle to see their own strengths. And that's why I totally love exercises where we, as team members, as friends, as colleagues, we are playing back what we are seeing in others, what we are seeing as their strengths. Um, I think this is always so beautiful. It's so empowering. It's so surprising. It feels like a little, a little hack from a friend when I tell you, Hannah, I really think uh, this and that is so great ab about you. I appreciate it. It adds value to our team. And then you can work on 
how can we use those strengths in this team setup? What could you be doing? How could you contribute to us achieving this or that goal? And maybe this can already have a bit of a different um, effect on them. I feel as though you've transformed um, this conversation. I can imagine you transforming <laughs> a person or a team because I think the what you go into as a leader is that you don't know what the environment was like before. Mm. So maybe that person has got a, a mindset that's like that because they weren't they weren't empowered. Or that, or Absolutely. So, so that might be the reason. And I think actually the um, really interesting point is that you're talking about the person. You're not talking about this broad brush of we will all be positive. You're talking about individuals of who Absolutely. want to feel and know their strengths, want yeah. to contribute. Of course. Of course, people want to feel meaning in life. People want to have fulfillment in their work. You know, maybe with very few exceptions. This is so true. And that's why I need to show them the bigger picture. I need to talk about the purpose of us as a team and us as an organization. And I need to help them understand their own purpose uh, so that they can have this feeling of, I'm doing meaningful work. It makes sense for me to show up every morning. I see the progress. I see how I am feeding into the bigger scheme of things. And I, I see fit of myself without needing to change myself. Yeah? It's mm. not changing yourself it's about creating an environment a context where you with your best skills and your interests you are best place and then again it's just uh, it's win-win and it's this positive spiral that develops um absolutely Brilliant. I can imagine the energy in the business once uh, people are all firing on all cylinders. And talking of people's strengths, um, public speaking, standing yeah. on a stage in front of, uh, I don't know, hundreds, maybe even thousands. What's the biggest audience you've spoken to, do you think? Yeah, I think like 1,000 in a live audience. Yes. Wow. So, But it does make a difference, to be honest, because you can only see so many. So I think if it's 100 or 1,000, it's it doesn't it doesn't uh, change anything really okay. you have 50,000 next then um, I am did... <laughs> I'm up for that and <laughs> um, when did you discover that as a um strength and has it always been something that you've been good at or have, or have you had to work at it um good question so I would say I probably have never been bad at it um it was uh, not something that anybody ever played back as, you know, that's a development area. I always felt rather comfortable doing it. But um, I'm definitely these days more comfortable doing it. I'm more aware of what works for me and what works for the others. I'm more aware of how can I create impact, which starts with the why. Why am I here? Why do I want to share? What's the call to action I want to make? How can I make it tailor-made? And I, I really understand um, when I feel good being on stage, which means it needs to be my presentation, it needs to be my story, it needs to be my wording that I use. I want to practice it because I want to show up with a lot of energy and I want to transmit my energy to the audience. I also know I feel best when um, I can have some kind of eye contact. So it, it makes a lot of difference when you're looking just uh, in an audience that is all blacked out. That's difficult. Yeah, you want to get some kind of feedback. As we know that how people are listening to you has a direct impact on you as the one who is sharing, who is talking. It's just because we are social beings and we're constantly um, interacting. 
So I know this is important for me. Um, I think sometimes people think that people just show up to an interview or do a presentation, you know, like out of that without any preparation, just because they are good, because they're used to it, which I completely think is wrong. Um, all the good speakers or normally all the good speakers that I come across, they are preparing very properly for the speech that they are giving. Even if it's a topic that they are very used to and very comfortable with, then still they want to really nail it. It's about having respect for your audience because people show up and decide to invest their time in you. They, they have trusted you and they, they also deserve to get something proper in return from you. So that's why it totally makes sense for me to prepare properly. Um, and I know that once I get on stage, my energy needs to be there. I need to be the one who has most energy in this room. Yes, hopefully the, the audience also still has some energy and it's not, I don't know, 6 p.m. and everybody is completely uh, almost falling asleep, but I'm the one who is responsible for bringing the, or bringing the energy, which then hopefully is contagious and you're creating something. So um, I think that's very obvious. And then I also think not everybody needs to have this as their strongest asset. I don't think we all need to be the best public speakers in the world because we need to have a diverse set of people and everybody can just, as I mentioned before, um, live their strength-based um, skills. So it's okay if you're, if this is not your, your biggest skill. On the other hand, also be aware that there's lots of different ways of delivering a good speech or a good presentation. It's not just this one thing. We, we can't all do it like Barack Obama. Or we can't all do it like, huh? um, it's totally okay to do it your way. Again, we want to have the authenticity. And then it's more like fine-tuning um, your style. And for that, I would say it totally pays off to get honest feedback from people you trust. And, you know, sometimes it's also just nice to get some input from experts. Um, so maybe there is a certain uh, uh, coach who is, you know, really experienced in uh, public speaking. Why not team up with them and, you know, do a session and just get feedback on, the little things that can be improved along the way. Why not? And I suppose in turn, you've then practiced, rehearsed, get on stage, you get better feedback and it in turn exactly. is that really nice momentum loop, I imagine. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And of course, I would not do it so regularly if it didn't give me energy, right? So if I was just dreading it all the time and it was taking energy out of my body, um, yeah, then it would not make sense. But uh, definitely having it, having done it various times in a successful way, it feeds my own confidence. Mm. And I just continuously learn and improve my tactics. And um, maybe just one, one last thing to add. For me, it's very much about the process of developing the story. I love storytelling. It's also one of my archetypes. So it's, it's one of the things where I really can get into a flow state, condensing the information, coming up with the red thread, changing, reiterating up until the point where I feel like now there's something to it. If I 
tell it this way, it will resonate with people, it can have impact. I totally love it. So probably that's maybe that's even the biggest motivation, the process of getting there versus then in the end, the 30 minutes of actually delivering the speech. Very, very good point. Not the end output, not the formats necessarily. That, that gives you the platform to share your story, exactly. but you've created exactly. the story. Brilliant. I'm really interested in the point that you made around preparation, because I think that takes a lot of discipline to mm. make sure that you're preparing enough. So how much time do you, how do you, how does discipline feature into your, into your weeks, do you think, in terms of both preparation for that and, the, and everything else that you need to do? So I think discipline is something that has always been around one way or the other. Um, so now I need to share, I was the girl with always the, the grade A uh, uh, in school. So summa cum laude, that's how I finished my high school and my university. So I, I've always liked working hard because I could see then the output, the benefits of it. So I think that's quite okay on my end. And I, I'm very structured. So if you were to look at my Outlook calendar, you would see, you know, blah, 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 all planned out, different colors. So I know how to prepare upfront to allow the space for the unexpected to happen that you know will happen anyhow, right? So that usually works out. For preparing a speech on a new topic, I really want to take as much time as possible in terms of time frame, because I think a story really develops. It's not like you can just write it down in one sitting. This will never ever work out perfectly well. You gotta get going with a first draft and then you want to reiterate it until it really feels perfect. It feels it's it's you. And you know, there's a certain research uh, piece that's, that's linked into it. And then it's just the crafting bit, so really just give myself the time, not do it under time pressure to make sure it, it, it turns out really well. That's one bit. And then just, I think the, the last few days leading up to giving uh, one of those uh, speeches, I just want to, to go through it over and over again, right? I want just um, to memorize all the relevant points and how I go from one message to the next. And for that, here comes the mom hack, to be honest. So um, my little one is three years old. So I make sure that she, you know, goes to bed and, you know, she can fall asleep. And this can take, I don't know, 10 minutes when she's really tired. But normally this is more like 30 minutes plus. So I'm sitting there, you know, with her, uh, waiting for her to gradually um, go, to, um, go to sleep. Well, what can I do in that time? I can, I don't know, uh, you know, do Instagram scrolling or I can just go through that speech which is then what mm. I'm doing. And then, uh, yeah, it frees up time uh, in the rest of the day. It's just making sure I'm efficiently using certain time slots. And um, that's definitely one that works for me. Very interesting. A lot of the time it's mental rehearsal, isn't it? If you're a visual exactly, person, if you remember visually, then you could just sit there and visualize the sections. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, now, one of the talks that you did recently was about Web3, uh, I think more specifically, actually, the metaverse. Is that correct? And talking about... Uh, true. Yeah. Could you tell us a bit more about that in terms of what your your role in, in building the metaverse is and what your opinion is? Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> Happy to do so. So to be very clear, 
tiny, 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 tiny little role uh, in building the Metaverse. Um, I just raised a hand uh, with regards to the World Economic Forum, who plays a relevant role when it comes to bringing together relevant uh, Metaverse stakeholders to drive consensus of what is it all about? How do we want to do it? Think about the governance, um, think about implications that might come from it. So um, there I'm just part of one of the work streams, which I really enjoy. Um, I'm especially interested in the part of diversity and inclusion in the metaverse, because that's um, home turf, that's a passion topic of mine, uh, regardless of the specific territory, be it gender diversity, be it uh, people with handicaps, or now how does it play out in this new world we are creating in this new territory for marketeers to play. And uh, I'm totally convinced there has never been a better time for us being in marketing or in business because essentially the metaverse is still, it's still a blank canvas. It's something that we can create all together. Now, the tricky point is that I think right now the metaverse is as um, intimidating maybe or confusing to users as it is to us as creators, as marketeers, as business people. Now, this, however, doesn't give us um, a break. It doesn't give us, it doesn't take away the responsibility to create it in a responsible way, in a sustainable way. It still means, even though we're not 100% sure how this thing will really play out, we still need to make sure that inclusion is at the forefront. Inclusion as um, a starting point is at the center of the metaverse. It does not become an afterthought. So it's about um, encouraging everyone to be focused on foresight instead of hindsight. It's about anticipating, thinking about it, um, mitigating versus then just later on trying to do repair work or basically hand the problem to the next generation. That's, that's not what we, what we want to do. That's not what we should be doing. So it's about um, showing up, creating awareness that the metaverse does have the opportunity to be a much more inclusive space than the physical words that we are currently doing communication in and interaction with but it requires an action on our end. And it's anything from um, having more representative avatars to making sure platforms are really accessible to um, make sure we have diverse digital creators. Uh, because of course you don't want a diverse set of people to just be the users, the consumers. No, you also want them to be the active participants, to be the contributors, the creators which essentially will already ensure that part of the problem is being solved because they have the, the empathy, they have the lived experiences to, to create it in the right way. Yeah, I mean, it, I'm not a big gamer and yet you only mm. have to look at games and look at some of the um, YouTube yeah. videos and so on. Now you start thinking about Metaverse and thinking it's a very male-dominated space. It's built by males uh, broadly. Yeah. 
though it's a, it's a hugely interesting topic which um we'll we'll maybe put into a, a part two conversation because um happy guess, to do so yeah that would be wonderful I, I suppose to wrap up I'm really um I'd, I'd love to know some top tips from you really about how you uh live your best life on fire at 40 um in terms of like balancing the fact that you are a mum as well, you, you've, yeah. um, um, you know, what your personal life looks like and how you do find the right balance, really. Ah, that's a good one. So I think it's probably important to also just mention at some point in this podcast that I'm also struggling. I'm actually very much opposed to role models who like to show off the superwoman cape. I totally think this is not helpful. None of us is perfect. None of us has it all under control. And none of us ever has the feeling 365 days a year that, yes, you know, I'm the best at everything. It's just not doable. I think one essential trick is letting go of the, the search for perfection. I think that's, that's, that's a super relevant one, right? So we just all show up and do our best. That's as much as you can expect also of yourself. So maybe that's one. The other one probably is um, talk to yourself more like you would be talking to your best friend, which means with compassion, right? So what are the things on a tough day that I would say to my best friend, uh, Corinna? Just tell them to myself as well. Be kind with ourselves. Um, don't beat ourselves up. I think that's the other one. Then I already mentioned somewhere in the beginning, surround yourself with positive people surround yourself with people who want to lift you up people who want to support you not the other kind of people be very ruffles about that I think it really makes a whole lot of difference and then uh, I think it's also totally okay or even to be recommended to get support and uh, sometimes it's easier to talk to someone who is not that close to you versus your best friend um, so it can be a coach or it could be someone from a network. So people that have, you know, a similar interest, a certain openness, you have a certain trust built up, but you're not that close. And then just share and discuss and um, get some reminders that sometimes you just need to hear. And the reminder that I got usually from my coach is, can you do less? Because I have the tendency to just do more and more and more and raise my hand because I'm so interested. So I, I totally love it when he tells me, can you do less? And then I'll finish off with one more message that my hairdresser gives to me, lovely lady. And she will always say in the beginning, I hope you brought me time with you. I hope you're not going to be the one scrolling on your phone all the time. These two hours, or actually it's three hours, these three hours are for you. And I think she's very right. Wise words. And I was going to say, by the way, your hair looks fabulous. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but that's so true, isn't it? That time just to kind of go, oh, hang on a minute, I'm addicted to my phone. Thank you so much for those wise thank words. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you for being so honest. It's um, really helpful to hear. And I know that the listeners would just be so engaged with this because I've been mega, mega engaged. So um, I hope Thank you get you. to have another coffee soon. And it's been amazing to talk to you. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Okay, have a great day. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye.